0: Trucking in this country is a big deal. It's a massive industry ripe for disruption because of its scale and the fact that there is plenty of room for technological advancement. According to Jay Ranganathan, the SVP of Product at Keep Trucking, fleet management is also an area where a company can make a huge positive impact.
1: So from an emphasis perspective, we're extremely fixated on safety as an area that we want to focus on. We think it has a high societal impact improves these people's lives tremendously, also has high economic impact as well. Very, very focused on extremely good tracking and dispatch operations. So managing the fleet's day-to-day operations. And then we've been significantly increasing our investment in areas like sustainability. So how we can improve fuel efficiency, things of that nature.
0: On this episode of IT Visionaries, Jay goes under the hood to reveal the current state of the commercial fleet industry. He explains his product priorities and strategy for integration. He also shares innovations that he's excited about that can make the lives of truck drivers safer and better. Enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest, SVP of products, Jay Ranganathan. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All right, Jay. Thanks for joining us. Listen, we've had a couple guests from the logistics and trucking space before. It's always a fascinating topic. But before we get too far into it, why don't you tell us what exactly is Keep Trucking and what do you guys do?
1: Keep Trucking is a fleet management company. And that probably means nothing to a lot of people, but uh, what it means to the folks who do buy our software and hardware, we install devices inside of uh, vehicles of all sorts. I have one in my Ford. People have it in their long haul trucks. And these devices pull a ton of information and data from the vehicle. They connect to the engine computer. They can get things like your speed and your RPMs and whatnot. They can get your fuel level. All of this data is pulled up into a application that a fleet manager can look at and understand and identify how to optimize their fleet operations. Commercial fleets today represent a large chunk of the vehicles and the miles driven on the United States freeways and city roads. And uh, people spend a lot of money on this. So they're very interested in optimizing their operations and reducing their costs.
0: Yeah. And for those of you listening to Jay and thinking, oh, it's like a it's a cool little startup. Now, Keep Trucking's is massive. If you go check out its LinkedIn, it's got over 2,400 employees already. Uh, there's 197,000 followers of a company. I mean, that's more than like, giant consulting firms, right? Like people are very, very interested in the technology you guys are offering. So it's a massive company. I think for a lot of people, it's very hard to conceptualize. What do you mean? Like it manages your fleet? You know what I mean? Like like, why is that hard? But then in casual conversations, like just imagine you have a central HQ and I'd love for you to share some of these stats, but like imagine you have over a hundred vehicles, each driving 20 hours a day, because the drivers take shifts, 20 to 24 hours a day, the amount of incidents that can happen, the amount of pickups they make. Give us an idea of like the scope of what a customer has to oversee, why Keep Trucking makes sense when you have to oversee that much information. Let's just take an example of a long haul truck. A
1: typical long haul truck in the United States does about 100,000 miles a year. Uh, they're consuming $40,000 worth of gas to get around. They're, it's a massive expenditure in all kinds of other things, maintenance tires, Um, the driver is obviously having an incredibly tough life driving those miles. And uh, these guys are working for companies which have dozens of these vehicles, hundreds of these vehicles, even thousands of these vehicles. That's obviously people who drive long haul, but even your plumbing fleet, the plumber who comes to your house often works for a company, which has dozens of vehicles uh, sending out people on a daily basis to different locations. There are so many different tasks you have to do to manage your operations in this situation. As an example, which plumber do I send now to this emergency job that showed up? I have to figure out where they are, where all my folks are, figure out who's the closest to this thing who can immediately go in there and take care of an urgent problem. That's not something that's easy to solve when you have 100 people in the field. You actually have to figure out where these people are, what they're doing, and ability to get to this next place and do this particular job. is. That's a simple example of something you need to do. There are many other things like this. There are things like, oh, when you have uh, 100 people driving for you, you also have to worry about, are they being safe on the roads? Am I likely to get into accidents, which will cause distress to my company? And obviously, put these folks at risk. For that, you need to be able to tell that they're driving safely. Fuel efficiency is another big thing. These guys are driving on the road. Some of them are really good drivers. Some of them have heavy uh, foot feet and they'll push the vehicle really hard. And you want to make sure that they're driving your vehicle effectively because this cost is going to add up to you as a business. There's many, many different aspects, fuel and maintenance, dispatch tracking, routing, uh, safety, many other things like this that we are focused on. And it's very hard to do this if you have uh, dozens of vehicles under management. Even when you get to five to 10 vehicles, it starts getting difficult. It sounds like not a complex problem, but it's actually quite challenging to manage all these assets.
0: Any of you that are parents, just being parents, right? And when you have kids and activities, just thinking about like, where is my kid? Like most parents, (laughs) there's always one One of the two parents doesn't know. I always, I know that for a fact, because I have three kids. One of the two parents does not know where their kids are. You know, the way you described it, I think, the other thing that, you know, I wanted to add to your description, which is in fleet management, this was described to me uh, from another guest. It's like, when you have something go right, which is very infrequent because you are using the roads, which means you're completely depending on everyone else to also do their jobs, right? Accidents happen. Inevitably schedules get messed up. Like that's a, that's a fact. They said, I'm sorry, it says 100% of your jobs will go off with some error. It was what the way it was described to me by someone. And then they said, your upside is like, you might make a hundred bucks your downside is millions of dollars. And I was like, oh man, I never really thought of it that way. It's like, dude, when I do my job perfectly right, I make a little bit of money. If I do my job even fractionally wrong, I might be sued to oblivion.
1: That actually happens a lot. Uh, it's interesting. The rate of insurance claims have gone up quite a bit. And you know, we obviously deal with safety on, on these roads constantly. And you have a class classic vehicle, these are large trucks, and they get into an accident. No matter what the original cause of the accident was, the other side always looks worse if you're getting into an accident in the Class A truck. So it's actually very hard for people to get past the emotional response of that car got destroyed or whatever. And this truck looks mostly fine because it's a truck. And that's actually resulted in a huge increase in liability costs for uh, all these fleets. It's a big problem in the freeways that we don't actually talk about too much, but Costing the industry a tremendous amount and it's actually slowing down our freight on a day to day basis. And but these costs can seem a little abstract and hidden away in some part of the economy, but these are all costs we bear, they
0: come back to us as consumers on a daily basis. Yeah, societal costs, actual PL costs, and that's where it dives into like the exciting part, which is we've heard it from other companies before, but like how drive cams, machine vision can help improve driver safety, how road cams can actually help exonerate companies because. I read a crazy stat, uh, overwhelmingly trucking fleet accidents are overwhelmingly caused by other drivers. Yep, that's right. Because like you said, when you see the accident, it looks terrible. It looks like the trucker did something wrong, for sure. But I read a stat about how machine vision and drive cams have now proven that it's over 90% of these incidents that are caused by pedestrian or civilian drivers.
1: It makes sense at a very basic level, right? First of all, they have much stricter requirements to be a truck driver than you and I do to get on the road. So uh, constant certification and training that they have to go through and they definitely train more than I did when I got my license by a long shot. That's number one. Number two, these are professional drivers. They do it all the time. You get good at things that you do a lot and that's another thing that happens, right? So these are people who are generally significantly better at driving than the average populace is which is why when they get into accidents it's typically the other person's fault. The reason why things like cameras are taken off there are Obviously, even in the cases where they do are at fault, you can do better and we want to do better. But the most basic thing is, hey, I'm always getting blamed. I need a camera to show what actually happened because most of the time it's not actually our fault. And so the first start of like an explosion of people installing cameras in their vehicles was driven by this. I need proof that this is what happened.
0: It's a really interesting industry. And you had previously worked in consumer applications, which is similar to like managing a fleet, except it's you know consumer vehicles. What brought you over from Uber to keep trucking?
1: yeah, so uh, you know when I think about choices I make in my career, I try to have a framework for making these choices. I'm not saying that I'm very good at assessing the answers to these questions, but I think these are the questions I ask myself uh, first of all, I usually look at the industry and say, "Hey, is this an interesting industry to be part of and when I joined Keep Trucking, before I joined Keep Trucking, I didn't know that much about the freight industry. It's something that I know exists, but i had spent zero amount of time thinking about it. And uh, I had met the CEO and he was telling me about uh, what they were doing and I started researching about it. It is an incredibly fascinating industry, which is so interwoven to our society, but we don't think about it. it but it affects millions of people. First, it affects every one of us because it's how we get stuff. But beyond that, the number of people who are employed by this industry is staggering. It's a complex, sophisticated industry that's been around for you know, many, many, many decades. That was number one, is this an interesting industry? And I was just like, this is an incredibly indus- interesting industry. the number two was, is the industry right for technology transformation? Given that I'm a technologist, that's clearly a question that matters to me. And uh, there were a bunch of confluence of factors that made this the case for companies like keep rocking First of all, there was a mandate that went into effect from the government, which happened in 2017, which basically required every vehicle to have effectively a black box recorder to tell how long the driver had been driving and make sure they don't drive too long. So one of the other interesting aspects about this industry is it's extremely fragmented. There's lots of individual mom and pop type operations, one or two trucks, and there's also a thousand plus vehicles. But the end result of it is that you have several million vehicles out there. And uh, nobody knows how much volume there actually is available. Nobody know, there's no visibility into what's available, what's going on. But the advent of this tracking device suddenly meant that you could actually start seeing patterns across large parts of these feeds. And then additionally, uh, the other thing that happened, which is super interesting from a technology perspective, is, of course, you and I don't even think about the iPhone anymore as an Android phone at this point. But it's not actually that old a technology. It's 2006 was when the first iPhone came out, and like, it's really advanced a lot over the last decade about four or five years ago, you could not assume that every truck driver had a modern phone. You could pretty much assume they're gonna have a modern phone. So they have a supercomputer, have a supercomputer from 2000 in their hands every day now. And then the phones also brought uh, camera miniaturization and they made cameras much better. So suddenly it was actually pretty cheap to build really high quality cameras that you could just stick on these vehicles. And the last thing is of course the emergence of AI and like the kinds of things you can do with camera footage when you have AI involved. So there's a set of things which are happening in the environment around us, which had like a huge amount of applicability to this industry. So super long-winded way of saying, hey, this industry is right for disruption in the last uh, five years. And then the last thing is, which companies are best suited to take advantage of this disruption? And uh, I won't go too much into the Keep Rocking story, but at a meta level, Keep Rocking did a phenomenal job of, selling their devices to a lot of customers, getting a lot of customer trust with a large number of these uh, folks. And so they were just generating incredible amounts of data through the fact that they were installing all these vehicles so they could actually do super interesting things in terms of solving really hard problems. Machine learning requires data. They have the data.
0: The other thing is that I'll add to what you're is saying is also the proliferation of ed- compute, edge compute plus 5G, or now 5G's available, which means you can do more and process more information faster. Obviously, these vehicles are not near data centers. Like when it comes to safety information, that's gotta be as real time as possible. This obviously would not be feasible back in the day when we were sending, you know, in 2000, it's not, it's not feasible. Like the timing, like you suggested, you're just in your infancy. And, and oh, one more thing, a little factoid. Uh, it says on your guy's site that right now that you have 90,000. Uh, I believe 90,000 customers. Is that right? It's actually more now at this point, but uh, that's the publicly available information. (laughs) Yeah. On the website, it says 90,000 companies have installed Keep Trucking in some capacity. So let's take it to your role specifically, SVP of products. You know, it's very similar to, I guess, most companies, which is they have a product portfolio of services, is not just a single software. Uh, sometimes they can be bolted together, sometimes they are standalone. How does keep trucking approach it? Are you guys building standalone applications? Are you building just one giant application that everything plugs into like kind of how do you think about what you're what you're building and after you share that and how you make decisions as to like the strategy yeah,
1: so when the company started, the industry itself was fairly fragmented in the solution space. Everybody had built fairly specific solutions for specific problems. So there were guys who were known for fuel and fuel management. There are specific people working on safety and there are specific people working on tracking and things of that nature. We came in with a very intentional viewpoint that all of this needs to be integrated. And again, part of the reason why it was not integrated in the past was some of these technology challenges you described earlier, but coming in from a clean slate To us, it made the most sense to start with an integrated portfolio, which tries to provide solutions to all the major problems that a fleet might have. Of course, it's impossible to be perfect in every area, but we know which areas we want to really emphasize, given where the state of the industry is. And then we want to make sure that we have good coverage for everything else as well. So from an emphasis perspective, we're extremely fixated on safety as an area that we want to focus on. We think it has a high societal impact, it improves these people's lives tremendously and um, also has high economic impact as well. Uh, We're very, very focused on extremely good tracking and dispatch operations. So managing the fleet's day-to-day operations. And then we've been significantly increasing our investment in areas like sustainability. So how we can improve fuel efficiency, things of that nature, but we also do other, other pieces of work. Like how we make sure that we have a good maintenance portfolio and, other aspects of what a fleet needs to run its business, but that's sort of like the way I
0: think about our business. so when you first came over, what were some of the first products that you wanted to work on the most? We were you most excited about? You mentioned safety was a big one, but specifically, what features or products were you adding to the like the safety portfolio?
1: Yeah, so when I came here, actually we did we had our first generation camera. It was not an ai based camera, and uh, I came here to build that to some extent, right? So I was very excited about the opportunity to work on a camera that would actually be able to help drivers in the moment as opposed to you know post-facto after a week of driving it was also one of those things i have spent years doing machine learning applications and this just has this really incredible visceral feel there's an edge device triggering alert in the vehicle telling the driver something's going awry in the moment they can do something about it we can save lives just an incredibly satisfying experience to be working on problems like that where you can say, Hey, I, I have my work has probably saved many lives.
0: And for anyone who's not aware of what Jay's talking about, let's think of it this way, right? So if the camera is not specifically detailed, maybe you could catch somebody, for example, picking up a cell phone because that's a really big object. It occupies a lot of pixels. A lower resolution non, you know, camera can pick that up. But a high resolution small camera can pick up the pupils of your eyes and on the website, you have a diagram where you can, you're actually developed technology that can say, I know where you're looking. And, and this has to work, of course, for everybody's eyes. I, I just want our audience to get an idea of how specific the movements of a driver in the world around them, you guys are picking up on.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, it's, uh, it's a hard technical problem, which makes it super exciting for people like me to come work on it. And it has like incredible impact when you can do it. And by the way, there are so many different permutations and combinations of these issues that you have to deal with eye color whether they're in glasses or not all kinds of details right the light in the during the day like you don't most of us don't spend all our time thinking about driving in terms of glare during the sunset hours or what have you but we have to deal with those kinds of situations so it's a really interesting and hard problem and it's just a fun one to solve but again it has this really incredible impact when you can get it right.
0: Well, I'm telling you, it's come a long way because I can tell everyone in 2015, I worked for a social media management company. We were a software company. We tried to do machine learning models to teach our app how to spot a dog. In, in, in pictures. Let me tell you how many false positives we got. We got a lot of false positives. It was not helpful. That's something that you know you have to be very mindful of, of course, because one of the things that we've learned in this industry is that there's a lot of trust involved, right? Like the, the workers have to trust the technology, to trust the company to give them the, the technology. And so we were kind of just hitting on that with the dog thing is like false positives. Your technology has got to be certain because if I get too many warnings that are false positives then that means I won't pay attention when I need to pay attention. So how do you guys go about testing and removing false positives? What's the strategy there? So false positives is one half of the problem. The other half is false negatives. So usually
1: what you're doing when you're making these models is you're training to make sure that it's highly accurate when it beeps at you, for example. Let's say your cell phone distraction. You want it to beep when you're on the cell phone, but you want it to catch every time I'm on the cell phone. So the more precise you make the model in terms of uh, when it beeps at you, the less precise you typically make the model. in terms of all the times when you have picked up the cell phone. So that's the dance you're constantly doing, which is, I want to capture every time this person is doing something naughty. and But I don't want to do it in such a way that they lose trust in me, when it's like, hey, this thing's beeping at me and it clearly makes no sense whatsoever. So that's that's the dance we have to do. And it's this is not a mathematical dance. This is a psychological dance to some extent because Nobody's going to be 100% precise in either aspect. And you have to figure out what the right level is. For example, we have set a threshold. We won't accept less than 95% precision, which means that we will only one in 20 times will be wrong when we beep at you. And that's generally something most people find comfortable. Like if 19 or 20 times somebody beeps at you and they've caught you doing something naughty, they're like, yeah, this thing generally is something I should trust. And then on the flip side, we're constantly trying to reduce how often we miss beeping at you. And this is, again, fundamentally, this trade-off is something that you have to optimize by working with customers, figuring out what makes them feel comfortable with the te- adopting the technology, what makes them feel like they can trust this technology.
0: You know, you mentioned before that the AI and ML camera models, give us an idea of like the portfolio products you're overseeing, because when people are not from the industry, kind of like what you talked about before you got into trucking you can only see so many aspects of it, right? Like you could be like, oh, there's maybe some monitoring the driver. Monitoring the environment, monitoring the wear and tear on the vehicle, and then where it's at. Oversimplification, right? Give us an idea of some of the products that are that you either a developed or b are currently in process of developing, It give us an idea of like all the the point solutions potentially that exist in or are required for fleet management. Let's take tracking as an example.
1: There's a dot on a map. Now, the dot on the map has actually been around as a technology solution for 25 years. It's not new, but what's changed is a bunch of different aspects of how, how useful the data map is. For example, our technology will allow you to track this the map at a rate of like, not more than two seconds old. So you're literally, the level of precision has improved dramatically relative to what it used to be historically. Again, tied to some of the things you talked about with 4G and 5G, allowing us to be able to send this data up at a much faster frequency. That's a minor element. What about uh, doing things like ETA predictions? Can you actually do these ETA predictions in these fairly complex environments with a large vehicle? They're getting better and better those kinds of areas. Many of us are now used to having deliveries be shown on the map. uh, So we are actually able to share destinations and ETAs to customers. That requires technology that we provide to be able to help customers power, like sharing uh, their location to their own customers in turn. right. So that's another element here. These people are going places. Let's say you're going to a Walmart store and you're taking a bunch of groceries there. You have to figure out how long it's, again, things we never think about, but you kind of assume, hey, if you're a truck, you pull in, there's somebody waiting to take stuff off and you get out. That's not actually how it works, right? Like What actually happens is that you pull in and then you're waiting for a slot to open up with the delivery docks and then for somebody to show up to pull your stuff off. And this is an extremely aggravating problem we could talk for an hour just about this
0: problem because it's such a high impact problem,
1: but I won't, I
0: won't worry <laughs> with that. No, no. I was going to say we had uh one of the top DSPs or I forget what they call them uh, for Amazon, like the, the Amazon franchisees. He, he ran uh, Houston. So he had like, he had 160 vans in Houston alone. And he's just one of the DSPs of Houston is 160 is not enough to handle Houston, and Amazon. Right. And he said like, when it first started, when one of the D- the DCs opened for pickup, he said the wait times were over an hour. He says, because they weren't, they weren't efficient yet. And he says Amazon's way more efficient because he's in trucking overall. He's like, other companies guarantee over an hour, every, every wait. Like you, you can never get there and there's someone ready for you.
1: R is not even a big deal. These guys can sometimes be asked to wait six to eight hours. Sometimes they have to wait overnight. Somebody comes up at like four o'clock for their five o'clock delivery and the place is closed. You're spending the night there. This is what happens. Okay. And uh, and uh, so th- we do things like, you know, we have enough data so we can actually see which facilities tend to operate efficiently, how long you're expected to wait. So we're literally predicting how long you're going to be at this location so you can plan accordingly. Hey, if I show up here at five o'clock, typically five o'clock on Tuesday, these guys are not very fast and I'm going to be stuck here. So they plan using some of this kind of data. So you take this very small problem and then there's all these other problems that emerge that, you can significantly improve these folks' life. So uh, that's the kind of stuff we build just in that one domain. You look at fuel, there's like eight different things we can do there as well. Everything from fraud, when people are constantly robbing vehicles of gas because it's actually an expensive commodity, to efficiency. Drivers will forget sometimes to turn off their engine. And it, again, things we won't think about in our car, but happens all the time in construction sites. And so then suddenly this vehicle is just consuming gas. These are not light in terms of the gas consumption. So there's just a lot of sub-problems in each of these areas, which are all individually fairly important to these fleets.
0: Yeah. And then, like we said before, the, the revenue generated per delivery is very small compared to the costs and risks these companies incur. So like anything that any company can do to help them control that is a massive deal. Trucking is so far behind anything you've seen when it comes to like deliveries, right? So for those of you that have ordered products from Amazon, you're like, oh, every vehicle's tracked. Oh, I can see my order when it's 10 stops away. They take pictures of it, like when they drop it off and they go, okay, that is just Amazon specific. Actual freight carriers are still delivering things via pieces of paper. They are calling you up. So like for anyone who's ordered exercise equipment during the pandemic, which many people have, it's usually delivered via freight. It arrives to the freight station, you have to like call the, a person to like set a order window. The order window is usually huge, like, oh, this day. <laughs> you gotta be there this day. And then when they come to you, like you won't believe this, but like they have a piece of paper. They have this like this giant, like crumbled up piece of paper that the guy has in his back pocket. You, Pulls it out and says, "Is this what you ordered?" <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> no idea. It's in a crate, right? And then you sign for it. There's no scanning. Like I never saw the guy scan a thing. Like it was all like this. This is how freight industry is. So, like, how much greenfield is there? Because there's a lot of companies in your category, and we see ninety thousand companies are in are on Keep Trucking. But there's other companies that do these similar technologies. How much greenfield is left? Like how much? What percentage of the comp, of fleets? Are modernized on modern systems like this? Commercial fleets represents about sixteen million vehicles in the United
1: States alone, and there's much more internationally. Our estimate right now is approximately forty to fifty percent have a tracking solution. That does not necessarily mean they do all the things you're describing about giving you an alert, real-time alert or any of that stuff. It just means somebody somewhere can find where that vehicle is.
0: That's what you first said, the
1: dot. The dot. Someone can create a dot. Yep, that someone can create a dot. And that's probably 40, 40% of the commercial vehicles out there have something like this out there. The remaining sixty do not. Trucking specifically has changed somewhat rapidly because of that mandate that I talked about. So the larger vehicles are reaching 100% in terms of having the dot that doesn't mean nothing about the rest of the technology capabilities. They're still doing the paper-based delivery. Even with the dot, there's this thing, concept called a check call. So if you want to know where your stuff is, you're a shipper. Let's say I'm moving my, I moved recently. I had a truck drive my stuff to Austin, Texas. If I call the guy who was helping me with my move uh, and ask, hey, where's the truck? The way they find out is they call the truck driver and say, hey, where are you at right now? How long are you from Austin? <laughs> that's, that's a check call. And that happens all the time. And they're like, very satisfied with themselves if they do uh, one or two check calls a day. So you're usually like, hey, it's within this 800-mile window. (laughs) Roughly is what you get. right? So that's the status of tracking to a large extent. There are companies trying to solve this very specifically, and they work with companies like us to pull this information. But uh, it's pretty low adoption in terms of full utilization of this kind of technology. I'd say the hardware solution may exist in 40% of the vehicles. The actual usage for these kinds of problems is probably less than 15% at this
0: point. Wow. So there's a lot more to go. That's a a lot more to go in this industry. Like you said, it's in its nascency.
1: Yeah. And by the way, that's the tracking piece. If you're talking about cameras, it's probably 10% or less, which have cameras installed right now.
0: I think it's probable. I'll predict it that there will be some type of government legislation that is going to force cameras into these trucks because like you already said, the downside of not knowing the truth of what happened is too big. You know, it's just too big. They can't afford to not know who is at fault in these accidents because it is such a major problem. Of course, this is something that people fear. It affects, as you said, consumer civilian life. It affects the workers' like, It's just a big problem. And because there is a solution, a viable solution that seems to make sense, it seems like this will become policy. This will be like the seatbelt. You know, this is just going to become a de facto standard that vehicles or commercial vehicles are going to need this.
1: Europe is already going down this path, and I expect that'll happen in the United States soon thereafter as well,
0: yeah, and your uh, your home country, India. so I've been to India only one time for work and I've been to Indonesia. I don't know which country is worse when it comes to traffic laws, but you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah I think it's gonna be a little while before we get the cameras there
0: yeah, 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 so like if for like countries like Indonesia and India, if they come online. That's a whole different ballgame. I mean, the the market will go 5X just overnight. Huge. It's huge. Uh, I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone who's ever driven in New Delhi, Indonesia, Jakarta, it is... Pure insanity! You've never seen so many vehicles so tightly packed on one road. Yeah, it's craziness. The good news is nobody's driving very fast there. (laughs) (laughs) You're lucky we are going
1: fifteen miles per hour.
0: (laughs) Oh man, Jay, it was awesome having you on the show and hearing a lot of the things you're looking forward to. And I and I love and I can hear it in your voice the passion for solving these problems. It's really exciting. But before you go. It is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Jay, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you better. Are you ready? sounds good. So you told us earlier that you didn't move to the United States until you were 17. Is that accurate? That's correct. What was your first impressions as you (laughs) step foot in America? Your first impression was what? I expected
1: a lot more tumbleweed in Austin. That's all I can tell you. It's like, there's, <laughs> dude, there's no tumbleweed on the street, but damn it. <laughs> no cowboy hats, none of that stuff. I was very really disappointed. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, when you were younger, were you always thinking you were going to work in a, or study a computer science type field?
1: Yeah. Um, naturally, a mathematical bent just, it was a very natural fit for me.
0: So you seem like a voracious learner because you jumped into an industry that you weren't familiar with. What are some of the things that interest you that you read about or uh, constantly find yourself trying to learn and explore more about? Two topics that I
1: love to read about. One is actually history, history of all sorts. I think all of us tend to think of our day and our age as special and unique and different and our society as unique and different. And when you read about history, you're like, hey, we are pretty much the same as the people before. And I love reading about that kind of stuff. It's fascinating. And then I read a lot about economics. None of, neither of these is actually to do with my job, but I find the incentive models that drive people super fascinating, endlessly fascinating. So I actually have an economics uh, minor as well. So I enjoy those as my casual reading, as it were.
0: You are on another level of intellect. Your hobbies are reading history and reading economics. Meanwhile, I'm over here just watching mindlessly betting dollar on, you know, <laughs> NFL football.
1: Well, I also am in fantasy football quite a bit. So I spent a bunch of time doing stats there as well. And I'm not been very successful. <laughs> I, I did win the league last year for the first time in 20 years. So that was exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never won my
0: fantasy football league. Listen, the more you know, the less you know. That's what I've learned about betting because everyone's so confident. Listen, Vegas was built not on winners, on losers. Everyone bets on sports. Like, oh, I'm, this is definitely going to happen. It's like, yo, you don't know anything. <laughs> That's right. yep. I wanted to ask you a question about because you you said you re- like reading about history. Is there any particular period of time where you find it extremely fascinating? Like, I'll give you an example for me. I always find like ancient civilizations very fascinating. Like, ancient Romans, Mongolians, Aztecs. I, I like that kind of stuff. I didn't know if there's any period of time where people that you're like extremely fascinated by.
1: I find uh, ancient Egypt and uh, Turkey, that area, the rise of Constantinople and all those areas times, super fascinating. They're also intricately tied to a lot of Western civilization in ways that people don't often realize. Uh, Greek and Italian histories are extremely tied to what happened in Constantinople and areas like that. And that's a super fascinating time in general. Uh, there's a lot of change and turmoil, which I find incredibly interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of reading about ancient peoples. It does give you insight into, I guess, how we are, how we came up to be. It's, and by the way, you find out it's it's a lot of it's luck. So yeah, much for luck. Sure, in for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so much luck is a mall. So you like reading, you like learning, you definitely play fantasy football. What about hobbies or interests? Do you have any others outside of those three things?
1: I used to, but then I had two kids and now my hobbies and interests are like trying to put them to bed and trying to get them to eat. (laughs) So it's one or the other. (laughs) How old are your kids? I got a five and a half year old and just about two year old.
0: Listen, I got the same age spread. I got three kids. They're three years apart each. I'm still having the same problem. My 13-year-old does not like eating food. I don't understand. He's- oh no, you're not supposed to
1: say that to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, so I don't know when this problem gets solved, but I'm telling you right now, my 13-year-old doesn't like to eat. <laughs> oh, man.
1: <laughs> I was hoping this was a temporary phase and I'd be growing out of it soon. <laughs> hey, maybe you will. Maybe you will. Maybe
0: you'll have it easier than me.
1: <laughs> yeah, or I might give up on this whole nutritious eating thing and just give giving pizza every day.
0: That'll be, that'd be an unsolved. The, my kids always dog on I me mean, right? because I make vegetables and rice, like a, just pretty much what I make every night, some type of vegetable, sometimes rice, and that's it. I just started subscribing to the philosophy to tell my wife, I was like, listen, I've never heard of a human being dying of starvation when food was available. This is all they're getting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to eat this? It. It's going to be available tomorrow morning too.
1: now i just have to get my wife to listen to this podcast and maybe i'll get somewhere
0: (laughs) (laughs) jay it was awesome having you on the show today thanks for sharing some of the things you're doing at keep trucking we have heard from different people about you know what is needed in this industry it is extremely fascinating you're absolutely right it's absolutely it's the backbone of our society and it's it's one of the ones that has not evolved nearly as fast as other elements of our society have evolved and when it comes to adopting technology
1: yeah, very excited about it. Thank you for having me
0: today.
1: I really enjoyed this.
0: Awesome. Thank you.